war, politics, social unrest, economic uncertainty, international conflicts, climate change. What is the significance of these current events? Where are we heading? Pastor Gary Webster shares answers from the Bible, giving you hope and certainty in the times ahead. Welcome to Countdown, Back to the Future. This episode is entitled 666, The Mark of the Beast. Let's have a prayer together. This is a vital topic, the mark of the beast. So let's ask the Lord to bless us, eh? Father in heaven, we really need your help to understand this one because uh, there are many ideas that circulate and they can't all be right. So we need to go to the Bible and work our way through this so we can clearly understand so that we can be protected from deception in the end of time. In Jesus' name, be in this place and help us. Amen. Amen. Now we have a card that we're going to give each of you at the end of this program because you're going to see this is a vital topic today. So uh, we'll have a card to give everybody at the end of this presentation. All right. Many people believe that the mark of the beast has something to do with perhaps a chip that's going to be implanted under your skin or something, maybe tattooed on your forehead. It's an idea that many people have. Some people are quite anxious or were in the past about going through the grocery checkout because those, those barcodes, they thought that had something to do with 666 and the mark of the beast. Then there were other people a few years ago who feared the credit cards because uh, this could somehow be connected to 666 and the mark of the beast. All sorts of ideas. I've even heard that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's what some people say. Well, we're going to see what the mark of the beast really is this afternoon, and we're going to understand very clearly what that is about. Now, let me tell you as we begin, the strongest warning in all of Scripture pretty well is given against receiving the mark of the beast. You will hardly find a stronger warning in the Bible. Let's notice the warning. Remember, we are seeing there are three angels. So far, we've only looked at one. Now today, we look at the third one. We'll look at the fourth one, a third, second one next weekend. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, megaphone, a megaphone voice. Everybody must know this. If anyone worships the beast and his image. That's the beast from the land who sets up a replica, remember, and receives his mark, the beast's mark, on his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now, they're powerful words, aren't they? Why does God do that? because he sees a train coming. He sees that danger is coming and he loves his kids, no matter where they are. They might be a, a Buddhist, a Hindu, or a Catholic, or a Baptist, or an Adventist. He loves the whole lot of us in this planet. So he gives a warning so that we'll make a course correction. 
So we must be able to understand the mark of the beast. It would hardly be fair of God to allow us to have that terrible wrath. And we didn't have a clue what this thing was about, right? Would that be fair of God? Of course not. So we can understand it. Now I'm going to give you some principles of how we can understand Revelation more. We're actually giving you principles from time to time. Here's a one. In Revelation, all the way through the book, there are contrasting pairs. For example, there's a marriage supper of the lamb and there's a supper of the birds or the vultures in Revelation. In Revelation, there's a pure woman and there's a prostitute sitting on a red beast, which we'll understand next weekend. And then there's a new Jerusalem and there's a Babylon, two cities, you see. So so how do you how does this help us? Well, very easy. If you want to understand one in the pair, have a look at the other. Because that will help you understand the opposite. It'll be something similar, but in contrast, in opposition to that. It'll be opposed to it. Something similar, but in opposition. So we have two seals. We have a seal of God or a mark of God, and we have the mark of the beast. Two cities, two suppers, two women. Now two marks in Revelation. To understand each, study its opposite. Okay, so let's have a look at the seal of God, because if we study the seal of God, which we're going to do for a little while, it will be very easy to understand the mark of the beast. And as I said, many people, they just want to dive straight into the mark of the beast. You're not going to understand it until you start to look at the seal of God or the mark of God. So let's begin there. There are two pictures or portraits of God's seal or mark. Number one is found in Revelation chapter 6 and 7, we find it in chapter 7 in actual fact, where John talks about the seven seals and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We saw this last evening, remember? We saw that under the sixth seal, John sees the climactic end time events. Jesus comes to deliver his children. He comes to gather them when he returns, we saw. Who can stand before the throne of God and the Lamb was the question at the end of chapter 6. Who can stand before the throne of God and the Lamb? That was the question when Jesus comes. Answer? Well, before we get to the answer, angels are holding back the winds of strife, pushing back, we see in chapter 7, the first four verses. Hold back. People are not ready for Jesus quite to come. We need to wait a bit, is the sort of picture here. Who can stand? Well, let's hold things back, meaning let's do something before Jesus comes to help them. Then he says, who can stand? The 144,000 Israelite servants, he says, who have God's end time seal or mark in their forehead. That's what we read last night. Who can stand? Well, you've got to be an Israelite. And we saw what these things mean last night, but we'll pick it up again now for a second. So these are the people who are saved when Jesus comes. You've got to be one of the 144,000. You say, whoa, what's that about? You keep coming, you'll find out. You've got to be an Israelite. You've got to be a servant. You've got to have God's end time seal or you're not going to make it when Jesus comes. That's what John says. Who can stand? And that was his answer we saw last night. So we go to Revelation. Many symbols, remember? First of all, these are all interpreted by the Bible. We don't guess at it. I think this means that. Or Tom, Dick or Harry says this. Who cares about Tom, Dick or Harry? What they say. The Bible, that's how we find out. We go to the scriptures. Remember, 
The lamb, the key beast in Revelation mentioned 28 times. Who's that? We go to the rest of the Bible and we see that Jesus is called the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Your sin and my sin. Because we went to other places in the Bible. Understanding the Israelites last night, we looked at this. And we discovered that an Israelite is a Jew and a non-Jew who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. So that means you can be an Israelite if you put your trust in Jesus. Even if you're a Filipino. <laughs> or a Serbian. <laughs> or Aussie. Or a Chinese. Anybody can be an Israelite and you must be an Israelite. And we, that's why we took that program last night. We, we examined that together because it's critical. You've got to be a Jew. Uh, oh, sorry, Jews and non-Jews can both be Israelites. Okay, so now we need to understand what does it mean, the servant bit. Understanding the servants of God. Because they're Israelite servants. So let's pick that up now. Notice what Paul says, because we want to go back to the other parts of the Bible. For the law of the spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit. He in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is that thing where you didn't want to do it, but you just did it. God gives you a power over your bad habits. He breaks the power, those shackles, that, those bad habits that bind us. God can give us that power. When a person comes to Jesus, the drunkard gives up his drink, doesn't he? Of course he does. The person who's a pervert, he becomes a pure person. The person who's a thief, he becomes honest. That's what he's saying here. The Spirit of God he sets us free from the law of sin that sort of sucks the life out of us. Now, notice what he says. Having been set free from sin, having now a new power in the life, we become what? Servants of God. There it is there. What's a servant of God? It's a spirit-filled person. It's a person who has the Holy Spirit living in their life. Now, the Bible tells us that it's essential to have God's Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we better find out quickly how to have the Holy Spirit. Because unless we do have the Holy Spirit, we don't belong to Jesus. We just read. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Number one, we must believe the gospel. And here's what Paul says. Notice what he says. He says, in him, that's in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. What's that? The gospel of your salvation. This Man receives sinners because he died in their place, in other words. In whom after you believed, you were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. So let's put it up here. You hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you personally. If you'd been the only sinner, Jesus would have died for you. You hear that. What do you do? You accept that. You say, God, I claim it. I put my, I hold on to that. And then what happens? You receive God's spirit. But there's a second thing you must do to be a spirit-filled person. We must obey or follow God. Notice what the Bible says. Peter is talking. He says, and we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Do you want more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Of course you do. You know the answer? Keep following him. Keep obeying him because you're going to receive more. The more you follow God, the more he'll give. That's the beautiful teaching of the Bible. 
So what's a servant of God? We've just seen it now. A servant of God is a spirit-filled, obedient follower. That's what a servant is. Hold back. Let's go back now. What about the 144,000? You'll have to come next weekend. <laughs> Seriously. There's mighty good news in that because some of you are counting. 144,000 is a very small number. What chance do I have? Right? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Well, you come next week and you'll find some wonderful news there. All right. So what about the end time seal now? What's that mean? How do we understand this thing? Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees until we have sealed who? The servants of our God in their foreheads. So you'll notice here something very clear. It's the Israelite servants of God who must have this thing. In other words, it's the spirit-filled, obedient Christian, Jew and non-Jew, who must have this. This seal of the Holy Spirit is something that we all must have if we've put our trust in Jesus and we're following him. We must have this. So what is it? Well, let's have a quick look at ancient seals and how they were used in Bible times. Ancient seals. They are outward signs of a truth or a reality in the Bible. Let me give you one illustration and we'll come back to Revelation. He, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. That's something outward in the flesh of the males. All right? That made them Israelites. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, it says. It was a seal of the righteousness of the faith. What's it saying here? It's saying a seal is a sign of something. A seal, something, is a sign of a truth, in other words. So what is God's end time seal a sign of? If it's a seal, it's a sign of something. What's it a sign of? So we go back to Revelation and we'll put this together. Now we come to the final battle for global control. This is portrait number two. The first picture was a seal in the forehead, it said. Everybody must have that. God's servants, Israelite 144,000 servants we saw. Now the final battle of global worship, control. Revelation chapter 13 and 14, the very passages we're looking at. John sees the faithful. He sees that this seal is a sign of belonging to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the great I am, Jehovah God. Notice what it says. He sees those two beasts trying to get everybody to worship the dragon. And then he says, no, not quite everybody. There are some faithful people. And look what he says of them. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So now the seal is, has God's name, in other words. It's connected with God's name here. Now, cattle branding was a sign of belonging, isn't it? Farmer Jones brands his cows with a certain sign that says, my cow, hands off, right? It belongs to me. Now, what's the name of God? God, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Bring them to me, in other words, baptizing them in the name doesn't say names, plural, it says name. 
of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Bible? It is this. What's his name? Exodus 3. God is talking to Moses. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. What's that name? The Lord God, the I, I am, which is why Jesus said, I, I am the good shepherd. I, I am the light of the world. I, I am the gate. I, I am the bread. He's claiming this title for himself. God's name is the Lord or Jehovah. Now we'll see how this has connects with the seal now. So it's a sign of cleansing by the Lord God's redeeming love. First, it's a sign of belonging to the Lord. He stamped us. We're his. Now, notice what it says. Here's these people who are faithful. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb. Wherever he goes, they were redeemed. Some of you ladies are really worried about this text, aren't you? You're really worried because these are the people with the seal and they're not defiled with women. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean that there's no ladies among these because they're all guys, it seems to indicate. And it doesn't include the guys who have had sex with their wives because it says they're virgins. Well, maybe, you know, you know and they follow a, a lamb, a four footed. Is that what it is? No, of course not. This is a symbolic passage. It's what John is dealing with. He's not talking about ladies and men. He's using word pictures. So what is he talking about? First of all, what does it mean they're not defiled with women? It means they haven't got involved with this prostitute lady that we'll talk about next week. They've come away from that or they decided never to belong to her, but they've, come, they've left that behind. They've left that. So they're not defiled. That's what he's talking about. And we'll come to that next week. Now, let's notice something else. These are the ones, John goes back to chapter 7 where we find these people. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And what have they done? They've washed their robes and they've made them white. In other words, they're pure. They've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Now we're seeing a picture emerge here. These people are right with God because... They've been to Calvary, in other words. Thus says the Lord God, on the day I cleanse you from all your iniquities. Who does the cleaning? The Lord here, you notice. I love this one. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and his love and his pity. In his love and his pity, he did what? He redeemed me. You see what John's doing in Revelation. He says, these are the ones not defiled with women, meaning they've left impure religion away. They are virgins. What does that mean? They've kept themselves true for their one great lover, the Lord, who died for them. He redeemed them. This is a love passage. Why are these, why are these people faithful to God when everybody else follows the dragon and the beast and the sea beast? Why are these people? Because these people have been redeemed. They, God's gave his son because he loved them and now they're in love with Jesus and they follow him wherever he goes. Beautiful love language here. Number three, it's a sign of worshipping the Lord God as creator. Now John sees these people. How come they are also 
faithful to God because they've acknowledged something. Notice what it says, that first angel. We looked at this last week. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, what? Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. These people are loyal to the Lord as creator. That's what he's telling us. Thus says the Lord. Who did the making? The Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it. Number four, it's a sign of faithful, loving obedience to that Lord God, according to the Bible. Here is the patience of the saints. This is the last text and it pictures the faithful people. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We've seen that before. Who gave the commandments? That you may keep the commandments of who? The Lord, capital L-O-R-D again, your God. So what is the outward sign of God's seal? What's the outward sign? What's the truth? What's the thing that is, has all those, those signs of those truths? A sign of belonging to the Lord God. He's, we belong to him. A sign of being cleansed by God and his redeeming love. A sign that we worship the Lord God as the creator of heaven and earth. A sign that we faithfully, lovingly obey God's commandments. What's the outward sign of all that? The answer is it's God's seventh day Sabbath. That's what the outward sign is. The seal, the outward sign of those truths is the Sabbath. Now, now, we need to show you that quickly, and then we'll move on to the beast mark. A sign of belonging to the Lord God. Notice what it says in Ezekiel 20.20. He's calling Israel back to the Sabbath. He says, hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign, a mark, an omen between you and me, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You belong to me. The Sabbath is a sign of that. Number two, a sign of cleansing. By the Lord God's love, have a look at this one. Back to Ezekiel 20:12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths. What for? To be a sign, a mark, an omen between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that cleans up or sanctifies them. It's God who cleans up your life and mine, not me. It's the power of God that changes us, the power of God that makes us whole. The Sabbath is a sign of that. Number three, a sign of worshipping the Lord God as creator. That's exactly what the Sabbath's called. It, talking of the Sabbath here again, it's a sign, a mark, an omen, again, between me and the children of Israel forever. Why? For in six days, who made? The Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. There it is again. Lastly, it's a sign of faithful, loving obedience to the Lord God. We go back to Ezekiel. What does he say? I am the Lord, your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my laws, my commandments and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths. Sign of obedience. And they will be a sign, a mark between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord, your God. Therefore, Jesus claimed the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He also is included in that great name. So the outward sign 
of those great truths is the keeping of the Lord's Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath. We call it Saturday, don't we? Now we can easily understand the beast mark. It's not going to be that hard because it's going to be something similar, but in opposition to that mark or that omen or that seal of God. Something similar, but in opposition. So now we're going to go to university history and current events, and we will understand very clearly now that what that is. Now, let's refer. The seal of God obviously comes from God because it's his seal. So therefore, the mark of the beast must be something that comes from the beast, meaning from, and here's the text verse, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark. So the mark is clearly from the beast, which means it's something that comes from the medieval church of Rome. It must be because that was the beast. We saw that identified in our last presentation. The seal of God is a sign that we worship God, we've seen. So therefore, the mark of the beast is a sign that we worship the beast. And that's what the Bible says. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his Mark. It's clearly connected to worship, you see. Next one. The seal of God shows loving obedience to God, we've seen. So therefore, the mark of the beast must reveal disobedience to God. See the point? Those people who have God's mark are obedient. Those who have the beast's mark will therefore be disobedient to God, which is what it says here. There is no rest day or night for anyone who receives his mark or the mark of his name, this mark of his name, I should say. Because of this, the saints, God's people must endure and what? Keep God's commandments. The implication is that God's people keep them. They've got his mark, but these people don't keep them. Otherwise, they would be God's saints, you see, in the end of time. All right. Now, the seal of God is linked to rest, we've seen. So therefore, the mark of the beast must also be linked somehow to rest. So we read these words in Revelation. There is no rest, day or night, for anyone who receives this mark of his name. So it may be a claim to give rest, but it actually gives no rest. Because of this, the saints must endure and keep God's commandments. You can see it's not hard to work. So what is the beast mark that is something that comes from the church of Rome, that is a sign that we actually therefore worship the beast, that is reveals in actual fact that in doing so, we're actually in disobedience to God. And third, fourthly, it's somehow also connected to rest. What could that be? Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize what we're talking about here. If God's soil is a day, the seventh day, the beast mark must be a day, and it's actually the first day or what we call Sunday. Now, before we go any further, don't go from here and saying, Webster said that everybody who keeps Sunday holy has got the mark of the beast. I did not say that. Okay, I did not say that. But there's coming a day when that will be true. 
We have not yet got quite there yet, so it's not true yet, but it's coming. So there are many godly people down through the centuries who have kept Sunday because they did it in ignorance. And at times of ignorance, we saw the other evening, God winks at. He overlooks. He doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't know, but what we do know with what we do know. <laughs> what we do with what we do and know, I should say. So there are many godly people today who are keeping Sunday. But there's coming a day when this thing is going to be a clear issue. But let's move on. Here's what the church claims, the Church of Rome. Notice what they say. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change to Sunday was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Even claim that it's a sort of a mark here of her authority. Here's another one. This is an abridgment of the Christian doctrine from the Church of Rome. It says this. It's in a question and answer form. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept, things we should do? Had she not such power is the answer, or authority that is, she could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change. Now notice what the Church of Rome says, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. There's no authority in the Bible to say we should worship on Sunday, but we say we should worship on Sunday. That's what they're saying. Okay, what about the 666 thing? We can clearly see what the beast's mark is. It's Sunday worship. It's in opposition to the Bible commandment to keep the Sabbath and for those various reasons. So what about the 666 thing? Well, this is the seventh identifying characteristic. Here is wisdom, says John. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, what's this all about? Notice 666 is not the mark of the beast, according to the Bible. And that no one could buy or sell except those who have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. See, there's not the same thing. There's a difference between these things. So we need to understand this. Now, the number of man in the Bible is six, right? What day was man created on? Day six. In, in when you go to Daniel's writings, he sets up an image which is six, six, six. It's <laughs> six cubits high and six cubits wide, whatever it is, and so on. Six was a Babylonian number. It's the number of man. It is the number of a man. His number is 666. All right, now. Man's created on day six. Man's number is six. 666 means I'm sort of fixated on man. I will not move on to God. It's man-centered religion, human-centered religion. And that's what the Bible teaches. Remember the little horn, Daniel 7, the same power, but under a different symbol. We called it, John calls it, and Daniel calls it the Antichrist. There in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous or blasphemous words. When we go to Paul's description of the Antichrist, he calls it the man of lawlessness. That's what he calls it. 
Man-centered religion, in other words. Jesus said these words, and in vain they worship me. In other words, uselessly, waste of time worship. What's a waste of time worship? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and for laying aside the commandment of God. So people have pushed aside God's fourth commandment and then they've taken up a human commandment, Sunday worship, where there's no scriptural authority. You hold the tradition of men. You notice man-centered religion. God's number in the Bible is seven. Seven seals, seven churches, seven plagues, seventh day Sabbath. What's going on here is this. God says, rest in me, come to me. But man says, no, I'm stuck on myself and I refuse to follow God. I refuse to go on to God. Now, there are other ways we can look at 666, but that's enough for the now. That tells us this is human-centered religion. And that's God's main point in all this. We need to, to go for the commandments of God and not the things of man. So how will the beast mark be enforced? How will people receive the mark? The Bible says he, the land beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now you see, the beast mark can be taken two ways, either in the forehead or in the hand. What does that mean? Notice where God's seal is only where? Only on the forehead. What does that mean? Because this is the place you make a commitment. You use your brain, you use your mind to make a decision for God. God's seal can only be taken here. Why can the beast mark be taken in the hand? Because the hand in the Bible is, is a sign. I'll go along with it. I may not agree with it up here, but for the sake of my job, for the sake of buying and selling, I'll accept it. I'll go along with it. Even though I don't even believe in it, I'll accept it to get by. God's mark can only be received here, meaning I have to make a choice for God. I don't know buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So in other words, apostate Protestant USA, meaning Protestantism that is no longer following God's word as it should. It's turned aside. And we've already seen one of the saddest things is that today most Protestants do not believe in a six day creation in this world. Protestants have moved away themselves from what God's word says, sadly. And you and I need to be careful ourselves. I'm going to come to that in just a moment. So Protestant United States of America is going to enforce the beast mark. Something they have in common. Most, well, all, almost all Protestants also worship on Sunday today. Now, we, how we worship, or sorry, who we worship is going to see, be seen by how we worship. That's why Jesus said these words, and we'll repeat them. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So who you worship in the end days is going to be seen by how you worship. 
Will you and I follow God or will we follow what the beast says and what the image of the beast says? Vain or useless worship is disobedience to God's commands. True worship is obedience to God's commands. That's what Jesus is actually saying here. Now, as we said, no one yet has the mark of the beast because we haven't yet come to this time where it's being forced on you. But that day is rapidly coming. We're seeing things are unfolding. So where are we up to today? I'm going to share with you some stuff that is very current now that you can see where we are heading. John predicted this 2,000 years ago at a time when all Christians worshipped on Saturday, the seventh day. And he could see down the track, people were actually going to be mainly worshipping on another day. That's what he could see. So let's see where we're up to today. What about, first of all, the Church of Rome and Sunday? Very interesting things have been happening over the last few years. John Paul II wrote a 41-page encyclical, a letter to his flock, called Dies Domini, meaning the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday, back in 1998. Even got into the Australian newspapers, by the way, papal bid to resurrect Sabbath, meaning Sunday. This was quite a, quite a, because um, he was urging people, we need to come back to Sunday worship, what he called the Sabbath, which the Bible calls uh, the first day of the week, but not the Sabbath. Pope Benedict, the previous pontiff, 2009, notice what he said, according to the newspapers, Pope Benedict on Sunday called on Catholics to keep the Sabbath, meaning the first day, of course, Sunday. The Pope said Western societies had transformed Sundays into days where leisure activities have eclipsed the traditional meaning of the day to devote time to God. Then he said, give the soul its Sunday, give Sunday its soul. Interesting movements by the bishops of Rome. What about now we come to climate change? And, uh, and uh, many things are taking place on this front now, but I just want to share with you a couple of them. Pope Francis, the current Bishop of Rome, wrote a massive 185-page letter to the church, or encyclical. Takes you a good while to read it. Many good things in it. We could agree with much of it, but it's interesting what he says toward the end. His letter was called Laudato Si, meaning on the care of our common home, in the care of the planet. Uh, this has been referred to just the other day again by the leaders of many churches who met together this last week. On Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist, for them it's the Mass or the Communion service, that sort of thing. On Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has special importance, he says. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, interesting, he combine, compares the two together, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God with ourselves, with others, and with the world. The law of weekly rest, talking about the seventh-day Sabbath, forbade work on the seventh day, so that your ox and your donkey may have rest. You see where he's going with this. This is good. We need to give the planet rest here, even the animals and so on. And the son of your maidservant and the stranger may be refreshed. He quotes from the Bible. Rest opens our eyes to the larger picture and gives us renewed sensitivity to the rights of others. And so the day of rest, which he's now moved from Saturday to Sunday, centred on the Eucharist, the Mass, sheds its light on the whole week and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. Wow. 
Now, as I said, we would agree with much of that letter. Good things. But one thing is interesting. Not for seventh-day Sabbath, but for the first day. That's what John said as we near the end of time. By the way, many people picked up on this. This letter that Pope Francis has wrote has incredible global support, not just from religious leaders, but from people, scientists and so on. They're all talking about, we need a day. Let's look after the planet by taking a day off. Guess which day it's going to end up being. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, but look at some of the Christians. 2015, the World Evangelical Alliance, they represent 600 million Protestants. World Council of Churches, Salvation Army. Interesting statement from the Salvation Army on the Pope's letter. Keep the Sabbath, meaning Sunday. It could be the most radical thing a church can do for environmental stewardship. See where we're going in this? Look after the environment. To commit to keeping the Sabbath, Sunday he means, the scriptures make constant reference to rest and care for the land as well as for people on the Sabbath. Meaning Saturday in the Bible, of course. Spending time with family and friends and enjoying the free outdoors is an act of resistance to the pressures of materialism and consumerism. Wow, it's interesting where Christianity is heading, isn't it? What about Protestant USA? Are they making moves to lift up Sunday? Well, you saw one of them just then, but Protestant USA. Let's make Sunday a day of rest for God's sake. Whoa, Fox News, April 22, 2012. Keeping stores open on Sunday is not beneficial for society. Well, that was Pope Francis in 2014. Shut the shops. Arizona State Senator, make Sunday church attendance mandatory. Whoa, that was back in when? 2015. There's some serious thinking going on on this issue. One more, Sunday as a mark of Christian unity, the Lord's Day Alliance. I tell you, my friends, we're not there yet, but we are moving. And my warning to you is this. What you and I will one day be, we are now becoming. The decisions we make today will either go for us in the future or against us. Because it's today's decisions that are made in good times which will help us in the tough times. We will never stand up for God under the tough times unless we're standing for him now. It's the very important issue here. It says to me that Jesus is coming again. He is going to return soon. So we must make a choice. That's what it's going to be in the end of time. Will we choose the seventh day Sabbath, the Saturday? Or will we choose the first day? And when that time comes, if we choose Sunday, we are giving allegiance to the beast. We follow God's Sabbath because we love him. We will be giving allegiance to God. It's just that simple. The question is, who will you and I worship? Who will we worship? Remember reading the story of a Roman garrison up in the northern parts of Europe, back, way back. And they were camped beside a frozen lake. And the commander of this unit had just received a message. Ultimately, it came from the emperor of Rome to say this. There can be no soldiers in the Roman army who do not worship God, Caesar as a god. 
Now he had 40 soldiers in his outfit who were Christians and he knew these guys would not follow that, 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 that rule, that law. But he had to give it. So he called his men together on, and he, he called them and he said, now listen, the, the emperor's given this command that you cannot stay in this army unless you're prepared to worship the emperor as a god because that's what happened in Roman times sometimes. The emperor was a god, a living god. So he said, take three paces forward if you're going to do that. Well, everybody move three paces forward except 40 guys. He knew it and it happened. So he called them forward and he said, right, take off all your clothes right down to your baby suit. <laughs> take everything off. And then he marched them with some soldiers out to the center of that lake. And they were left there to freeze to death. Then he was sitting by his campfire. And as he sat by his campfire, he heard a song coming across the lake on the stillness of the night air. And it went something like this. Forty brave soldiers standing firm for you, O God. As the night wore on, the song got weaker and weaker as the men got weaker. Finally, he heard 39 Soldiers standing firm for you, O God. And in the light of the fire, he saw a figure on hands and knees with no clothes on, crawling on his hands and knees and collapsed in front of the fire. One of the soldiers had given in. That commander looked at that soldier on the ground and listened to those words. And then slowly he began to unbutton his tunic he took off his belt and all his gear and he stripped himself completely naked. He ran out onto that lake and he joined those men. And the song came now a little stronger. Forty brave soldiers standing firm for you, O Lord. You know, my friends, God is calling us to take a stand for him. We must take a stand because there's a time coming when it will be forever too late to take a stand. We will have sealed our minds, fixed them. I want to speak to my Seventh-day Adventist friends for a moment. You call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist and you go to church on Saturday, but it does, does not mean that you necessarily have the seal of God. You outwardly may keep the Seventh-day Sabbath and come to church, but that doesn't mean you love God inside. That's the outward thing, but it has to come from the inside out. It doesn't mean that you necessarily love God with all your heart, soul and mind. I want to plead with you this afternoon that you need to determine that I'm going to stand for Jesus, not because my parents did, not because of a habit, but because I love Jesus and I, I, I give him my whole life. Because the Sabbath will mean nothing to you when the pressure comes on if you don't really love Jesus. You give up the Sabbath like that just to buy and sell. So you need to love Jesus. I want to speak to my friends from other Christian churches. You love God. And the Lord is calling you to follow God in this thing. You're not here by accident. Let me tell you, if, you, if God didn't know that you weren't ready for this, you wouldn't be here. Because the Bible says... God, all things work together for good to those that love God. You're here because God knew you're ready for this. 
You've probably not heard it before, maybe, but you love God and God's calling you to follow Him in this thing. You've been listening to Countdown Back to the Future, made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Koval Smith. This story is entitled Prayer in the Rice Paddy. James 5 verse 15 says, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Where is everybody? I asked as I approached an elderly woman squatting in the cool of a shady palm tree. They are all harvesting in the fields, was her hesitant reply. She spit out a wad of red betel nut chew onto the ground. With a sceptical look that silently questioned what a stranger like me wanted from her Cambodian village, she asked, Who are you looking for? I smiled warmly at her and said, Do you know a Mr. Owen Nen? My friend Sunmon told me he is from this village and I would like to meet him. At the mention of Owen Nen's name, the grandma's face lit up and she pointed me in the direction of the fields where I could find him. As I made my way by foot down the middle ridge of the rice paddies, I prayed, Lord, please send the Holy Spirit ahead of me to speak to Owen Nen. My heart and footsteps quickened as I neared the workers. I greeted them with a big way, a palm-touching palm bow of reverence. Owen Nen, busy with the harvesting, got right to the point. Uh, Why have you come here? he asked. I explained, I am a Seventh-day Adventist pastor and I heard from a friend that you do not have a shepherd for your church group. I have some good news to share with you that I think you will be excited about. I am happy to come teach your group. Owen then seemed surprised, but he was open and friendly. I'm interested in learning more, but we cannot stop work now. Even the children are helping to harvest. I'll give you a hand. And then can I share during lunchtime, I offered. He agreed. After lunch, Owen then gathered everyone around me. We sang songs and then I shared a story from the Bible and prayed. I felt the presence of God with us as we praised our Creator in that open field under the vast blue sky. Owen then asked me to pray specifically for his wife, Yin Yuan, who had suffered with uncontrollable bleeding for more than a month. A dark hopelessness and fear filled his eyes as he explained, We spent much money on a doctor, but the medicine did not help her. I prayed that through the Holy Spirit, 
God's healing would come, believing that it was so. After I returned home at about five in the evening, I got a call from Owen Nen. God heard your prayer. My wife is healed, he excitedly said. My wife's bleeding has completely stopped. After this amazing healing, Owen Nen went around the Tasu village sharing his testimony. Hearing of the prayer in the field and witnessing the miraculous results opened the village's hearts to what I had to say. When I returned to the village and shared more beautiful truths from God's word, I was glad for the village's good response. When they learned how the Bible teaches that the seventh day is the Sabbath, they decided right away to switch to worshipping on Saturdays. In the beginning, I visited the Tasu village every Sabbath. But since I have eight groups I am witnessing to, I decided to go every other week. Owen Nen, as head elder, leads out when I am not there. Yin Yuan's miracle healing planted hope in the hearts of other sick villagers. Chuan Taim, the 70-year-old mother of Yin Yuan, was the first to raise her hand during prayer request time one Sabbath. She wept as she confessed her predicament. I went to the shaman and spent a lot of money during the past four years, but I still suffer from a stomach ulcer, typhoid fever and tuberculosis. Please pray for me, she desperately pleaded. I prayed, Jesus, the Lord and creator of all, Please pour out your Holy Spirit on this daughter who has been sick for so long. Please give her your loving hand to heal her diseases. This will show all the people of the village that you are a mighty God. Cast out all the demons in her life so she can have the strength to work and walk again. In Jesus' name, Amen. A week later, when I returned to the village, Grandma Chuan Taim walked up to me with a smile. She looked healthy and strong. She said, Thank you, Lord, for healing me, and thank you, Pastor Ping Sothi, for praying for me. I want to study to be baptised. Many more blessings have come to this village since the people decided to obey God and His Word. A 40-year-old woman named Sayo Sen asked for prayer. She had also heard of Yin's healing and thought, if God could cure uncontrollable bleeding, he can heal me too. She told me, if Jesus is the true God and heals me, I will believe in him forever. I have no one else to turn to. We prayed, and four weeks later, she was completely healed of her numbness, dizziness, stuttering, inability to walk and pain. She had been sick for more than two years. When the people in the village saw her going into the woods to pick up sticks to use for cooking, they asked her, what medicine healed you? She answered, Jesus is the most powerful medicine that healed me. Mayus Myers, another woman from this village who experienced the blessings of healing. After God touched her, she no longer walks around humped over with anguished looks of pain. 
She also is a living, breathing testimony of the power of God to all the villages. I believe all those prayers were answered because with God all things are possible, as Matthew 19 verse 26 tells us. I tell the sick, God is healing you, not God will heal you. The Lord is so good to me. When I pray, he never fails to hear and answer according to his will. John 9 verse 31 says that God will hear the one who obeys him. I know that if I continue to obey God all my life, he will continue to pour out his blessings on my ministry. A reflection associated with this story comes from Ministry of Healing, page 226. God is just as willing to restore the sick to health now as when the Holy Spirit spoke these words through the psalmist. And Christ is the same compassionate physician now that he was during his earthly ministry. In him, there is healing balm for every disease, restoring power for every infirmity. His disciples in this time are able to pray for the sick as verily as the disciples of old prayed. And recoveries will follow. For the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We have the Holy Spirit's power, the calm assurance of faith that can claim God's promises. The Lord's promise, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, in Mark 16 verse 18, is just as trustworthy now as in the days of the apostles. It presents the privilege of God's children and our faith should lay hold of all that it embraces. Christ's servants are the channel of his working and through them he desires to exercise his healing power. It is our work to present the sick and suffering to God in the arms of our faith. We should teach them to believe in the great healer. Prayer in the Rice Paddy was written by Pastor Ping Sothi, who is a church planter in Cambodia. He is working with Adventist Southeast Asia Projects, often called ASAP, a ministry dedicated to spreading the gospel in Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam and Myanmar. You can visit the website asapministries.org for more information. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.